Welcome back to another episode of the CNS Summit Podcast. This episode features a conversation from the main stage at the 2019 CNS Summit in Boca Raton, Florida. Dr. Amir Kalali, Chief Curator of CNS Summit, spoke with MIT professor Dina Katabi about the journey from wearables to invisibles. They also discuss AI applications for neurodegenerative diseases. For more podcasts like this, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. You can also find us on Health Podcast Network at healthpodcastnetwork.com. Be sure to visit the CNS Summit website at cnssummit.org to find out more about upcoming events, news, and announcements. And now, here's the conversation with Dr. Kalali and MIT professor Dina Katabi. Now, Ali told us, you know, he mentioned briefly as we were rearranging arranging chairs that he was a refugee, right, uh, in Iran. So you're from Syria. I'm assuming you didn't have to go through what Ali did. That no, working. no, I, I was one of the lucky ones. I didn't have to go through the refugee path. I, I left Syria way before the war. Now, first time I became aware of you was a really quite fun video uh, of you presenting at the White House, right? And to be clear, this yeah. was a few years ago. Yes, yes, President Obama. <laughs> was that fun? Uh, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun, particularly since our, we were supposed to present a demo to, to President Obama, and the demo stopped working. And <laughs> for, for the two, three hours before he came, we were just trying to scavenge, and like my students, oh, how do we like, put this wire here, put this wire there? Luckily, it just started working two minutes before he came to the room. So wow. we were saved. And it's actually on YouTube. It's a very cute video. He's very Thank funny. You. Yeah, yeah. I started asking Obama questions like I'm professors and I was quizzing him. <laughs> I recommend you guys watch it. It's just Google Dina and uh, White House will come up. It's fun. Uh, so Dina, Emerald, where is Emerald? Yeah, so uh, in, I'm a computer scientist. So over the past few years, I started uh, working on digital health. And uh, basically, when I tell people digital health, it's like, oh, yeah, wearables, we're going to put accelerometers, cell phones, all of that stuff. And really, one of the issues with wearables, if you are trying to use it for, for health and uh, clinical trials, is engagement and adherence. Yep. So what if we can measure everything uh, or many physiological signals for you, but without any wearables, without asking patients to do anything, just live their lives normally? You mean like magic? Uh, to, to some extent, yes, like magic. So basically what we have developed in, uh, mm -hmm. in my group at MIT is this device called Emerald. It's a Wi-Fi-like box that sits in the background of the home and uses a wireless signal to analyze your breathing, your heartbeat, uh, your gait, sleep, sleep stages, apnea, even engagement and interaction with a caregiver. Mm -hmm. And uh, the way we can do it is simply by analyzing the wireless signals and the environment using machine learning. So uh, basically, uh, the, uh, like many people talk about AI in terms of analyzing images and audio signals, we use machine learning to analyze just the uh, electromagnetic waves that we all are living in. And from that, we can get your breathing, your heartbeats, uh, sleep, all of that stuff. 
So I have a, a uh, like a, an introductory video here, so you can see the home and the wireless signal spread inside the home. Yes. And uh, it reflects off the human body because our bodies are full of water, and some of these reflections come to the device that you see. And uh, I was device analyze them. In this case, I would get that this is a phone and can alert the caregiver via text, email, or phone call. So, uh, so that's the new technology. We call it the invisibles, and this ML technology, the invisibles, as, which is the next stage after the wearables. So what, what are you measuring exactly? Yeah. Uh, we can measure so many things. So um, yeah, it's like I, I like, the, um, like one of the videos that we use here. So okay. Let me move. Yeah, so. so this is my student that people can see. And we, our device is not even in the same room. So imagine somebody monitoring from behind the wall from the adjacent office. You see a red dot on that screen. And if I play this video for you, I want you to look at how the red dot tracks him. And what we are doing here is that we are able to monitor his movements and uh, track him based on the wireless signal and how his body changes the electromagnetic waves as he moves. So we can get gate speed very easily. We can get where he is in the home and therefore what is he's doing without asking him to wear any sensor on his body. So uh, that's one of the things that we can monitor, gate speed. Uh, so as you know, gate speed and the six-minute walking test is a test that is used in, uh, in um, uh, Parkinson's, in multiple sclerosis, in ataxia, in so many diseases. And now we can monitor 24-7 in the home without asking people to wear sensors or to do anything, charge things or put things on them. Uh, gate speed also is useful for many other diseases, uh, such as um, it's a predictor of exacerbation in CHF and COPD. But we can monitor more than gate speed. So for example, we can monitor sleep from wireless signals. So when we go to sleep, our brain waves enter different stages, light sleep, uh, deep sleep, awake, REM. And we just use the wireless signal in the environment to get all of those stages. And know when you are, for example, in REM, as and does to, everyone look skeptical like me when you tell them you can measure all this without any wearable and just through Wi-Fi? Uh, they get very skeptical. Uh, they think of it as magic. But really, science is nothing, but it's, uh, it's magic before everyone understands it. That's what we call it. But then once you're, everyone understands it, it becomes science. Mm -hmm. And so like, this is how you do sleep staging today in the, in the sleep lab. This is in the MGH sleep lab. Have you ever been through this? Not personally, but I, I've been in a lab doing that, yes. Okay, so let to me... To other people. It's always better to do it to other people. Yeah, you can see he's not happy. Yes. <laughs> so let me show you our device. So here's our device, actually. This is the actual device. Transmit very low-power wireless signal, analyzes the reflections using machine learning, spits out the sleep stages throughout the night. And the accuracy is comparable to Sleep Lab. We did multiple studies with different, uh, uh, with MGH, the first one, but then we did multiple other studies with other organizations. And this person is sitting like you, and we can monitor his breathing, his inhales, exhales. Uh, like in his case, like in this video, we asked him to hold his breath. You see the signal stays at a steady level because he exhaled, he did not inhale. We don't have any sensor on his body. Like we really sensitive. Yeah, yeah, very sensitive. Actually, it's even more sensitive than that. Um, like one with the thing, what, what do you think is the smallest signal that we can monitor? 
itching maybe or what we can have an itch you just scratch or would you we can monitor scratching yes very much but not just that we can actually monitor the um the pulsing of your blood so mm -hmm. this is the the same signal that you saw before inhales exhales and these are the heartbeats so every like the when the, when the blood uh, is pushing and the pulsing of the blood it changes the electromagnetic waves and the device is sensitive it can monitor that even without any contact with the body from a distance actually we can do it even through walls is there anything you can't measure with this is there something that we cannot measure? Uh, of course, there are many things. But the issue is that we really don't know what we cannot measure. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, if you asked me a few years ago whether we would be able to get, uh, for example, the pulsing of the blood or the sleep stages, the REM and all of that stuff, I would say, no, pulsing is just like a very minute signal and EEG is like electric signal in the brain. How would we get it through RF signal? But really, like once you explore with the science, you discover that you can get so many things. So uh, of course, there are many things that we cannot get, but I cannot tell you exactly what are those things. Maybe we can get them with advancement in science. Do you have any clinical trial evidence for this? Yeah, so uh, we have multiple clinical trials, but of course, one of the things is like uh, one of our earlier ones and also the one that's uh, open and I can share information about is in Parkinson's. Mm -hmm. So what, what people are seeing here is our device. This is like the device, it's just a white box that we, we, tend, we like to put on the, uh, on the wall. And uh, let me show you some of the results from our trials. So uh, here, I'm gonna start with something very simple. Because like, it's, it's really interesting when you look at how a patient, an elderly person walks versus how a, uh, a healthy nurse, for example, walks. So here you see like the, the green box at the top is our device. And I'm gonna show people the difference between monitoring a patient and the, the healthy nurse. So if I play this video, so you see on uh, the right side, the, the nurse, and you see that she's fast and she's smooth. Uh, but you see the patient, like for us, we see it here. So you see that his movement, his trajectory actually is wiggling. So not only he's slower, of course he's older and he's slower, but also he has balance issues. So you see that the trajectory is wiggling. And again, all of that we can monitor without asking people to put any sensors on their body, just purely with a smarter Wi-Fi-like box in the home. Uh, so talking about more about the Parkinson study, so we did this study with the Michael J. Fox Foundation and University of Rochester, where we deployed, uh, and also BU Medical School, where we deployed uh, our sensors in the homes of Parkinson patients. So this is one of those patients that you guys see here. Uh, this is like two hours trajectory. The green box at the top is our emerald device. And you see that this trajectory goes between his bed, his like there is a particular chair that he likes to sit at, and like the uh, bathroom and all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. Now we collect those uh, trajectories and I want to show you that we can capture the behavior of this person. So if you look at this, uh, this graph actually, so every single circle in this graph is one day of his life. The innermost circle is the first day of the trial. The outermost circle is the last day of the trial. Zero at the top is midnight, and, and 12 at the bottom is noon. So this is two months of the life of this person. Now, if you look at the blue color, for example, the blue is, uh, uh, is when he's in bed asleep. 
So you see at the beginning, like in the center of the graph, these are the first few days of the experiment, the blue is, is messed up completely. It's just so fragmented. This is a Parkinson patient, so his sleep is so bad. But then as, as you go to the outer circles, the blue starts cons consolidating, and you see that his sleep is improving. You also see the green area there, which is when he's sitting on chair like we are doing, but you see the whole graph is full of green. So this person wakes up and sits on a chair for most of his life. And then you see uh, yellow. Yellow actually is the time when he goes to the bathroom, and you see a, uh, a, a cone of yellow around 8 a.m. in the morning. So you see the, the mark of six on the graph, and then there is a cone of yellow slightly below it around 8 a.m. So actually, Amir, I have this question for you. This was a trick question that the, the doctor that I was uh, working with asked me. So why do you think this person wakes up? I mean, if you look at the blue, this is the time when he wakes up. This is a person who wakes up more or less around 3, 4 a.m. in the morning, sit on a chair until 8 a.m. in the morning where you see the cone of yellow until he goes to the bathroom to do his showering and toileting. Why is he waiting until 8 a.m. to do his toileting and showering? You want me to guess? Yes. I think it's probably because if he has a caretaker who comes to take him. Yes, excellent. <laughs> you are an expert. So really, this is a person who is not who's not independent, he's so dependent on his caregiver that he actually has to wait until the caregiver comes around 8 a.m. in the morning to do his toileting and shower. So with just like smart Wi-Fi box in the environment, we can capture all of this information without asking him to wear any sensor or do anything special. Or answer any questions. Or answer any questions. I mean, yes. this is really remarkable, the amount of information you're getting. Yes, yeah, so of... For example, here you see the sleep of multiple Parkinson patients, and you see all of these are Parkinson patients, but look at how like, much variety there is. Some people like sleep, have sleep that is normal, and some of them like the sleep all over the place. I mean, very irregular. And again, you get it longitudinally, no, no overhead to the patient and whatsoever. So it feels like a digital biomarker to me in some ways. Um, but isn't the FDA going to say, compare yourself to the gold standard? Yeah, so, so actually that's very interesting. So I think uh, like, uh, like uh, Bakul was here sitting before me and he was referring to like MIT people who are get, uh, getting to the healthcare from different domains. Mm -hmm. And so yeah, so they, they, we are talking to the FDA, but I think one of the major thing is also to put the measurement within the context of the disease. And that is very important. So in the case of Parkinson, the most important thing is the, uh, the UPDRS, which is the standard way of assessing Parkinson patients. And what we did is to take our measurement, which you see on the y-axis, and UPDRS on the x-axis, and you can see the correlation, and we actually, there is a huge correlation between the measurement that we measure in home and like basically the, the stage of the Parkinson disease from the UPDRS. And in fact, the, the, uh, the correlation is both with the motor part of UPDRS and all of UPDRS. So what diseases have you actually monitored with this so far? 
we are still scratching the surface, but there are so many diseases of interest, mm -hmm. particularly, of course, like neurological diseases, like neurodegenerative diseases such as Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, um, multiple sclerosis. We have clinical trials in these diseases. Rare diseases, because in rare diseases you are looking for new biomarkers or digital biomarkers. We are in FSHD, in Duchenne, in RAT, and uh, also uh, mood disorders, because you can also look at mood and behavior and the interaction. Mm -hmm. And we are just recently getting into GI uh, diseases such as Crohn's. Great. And do you see in the future expanding to many other diseases? Yeah, I actually think that the future really is dependent on this opportunity between bringing the computer scientists and machine learning scientists and people in the domain, whether the pharma people or the doctors or the payers or the providers, and creating one community and having a shared language so that we can exchange information. And I believe that what we are doing can be part of that new uh, paradigm. Well, Dina, the work you're doing is amazing. Thank you for coming. I really appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Amir. Thank, Thank you, you all. Thanks for tuning into this CNS Summit podcast. To get more episodes on your device automatically, be sure to subscribe to the CNS Summit podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. You can also get this on Health Podcast Network, which you can find at healthpodcastnetwork.com. Be sure to visit the CNS Summit website at cnssummit.org to find out more about upcoming events, news, and announcements.